Hey everyone, welcome to Grace Community Church of Willow Street's podcast. If you have any questions or want to learn how to be more engaged with our church, check us out online at gccws.net, or you can connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy today's message, and we are praying that it leads you into a growing relationship with Jesus. Well, good morning. Join with me in a word of prayer. Father God, we're thankful for the powerful time of worship we had this morning. As I'm reminded, as we were singing the goodness of God, that was very powerful as we sang together in one voice, worshiping you. But may it not be words we just sing or words we just believe, but we have truly have experienced your goodness, God, in our lives in so many different ways, whether it's through the highs or the lows of life, that you are walking with us, you are there with us, you care for us, you love us, and so we are so thankful for that. We're also thankful, Father, to be able to be able to partner with the Abbes and be able to have them here with us, to be able to learn about the ministry that they have in France. We commit that ministry to you. We pray that you'd continue to allow them to do the good work of sharing the good news of the gospel in the country of France. Pray that you'd be with Tomo as he has the opportunity to interact and to evangelize and disciple Japanese there in France as well as Europe. And we pray for this conference and for opportunities that you would keep opening doors of connection, that you would uh, bring Japanese together and opportunities where he's able to utilize and be able to do ministry. We also pray for Jessica and the opportunities that she has to be able to reach and impact the people of France with the good news of the gospel as well as a family as they get to be able to interact with the people around them. And we just commit that to you. We pray that you be with Jessica. She does her master's and is, is working and completing that. And just the grind that that can be on a family as they um, try to do ministry, schoolwork, and being able to life as a family. And I'm sure by the end of the day, end of the week, that the tanks can get pretty empty, Father God. So I pray that you would renew and re-energize and, and be with them during this season. And I pray that you would just continue to protect them and be with them as they uh, carry out the good news, God. And so we just commit that to you. We're thankful that we are part of the larger Capital C Church, and that um, what you're doing is not just here in Willow Street, but you're at work around the world. And we're thankful and excited to be able to be a part of that. We're also thankful for the work that you're doing here locally. And just p- this past week, as we had Vacation Bible School and had many, many children from our church and from our community take part in that. And we pray that the seeds that were planted of your word in the gospel. Uh, we pray for those seeds that you would be working in those children's lives, that we pray for each and every one of them, that it would be a story like Riley, that they would have an opportunity, whether it was at church or at home with their parents, that they would realize their need for your son Jesus, and that they would come to a saving knowledge. 
We're very thankful for the many volunteers of our church who rose up to the challenge of being able to serve and uh, allow us to have 280 children come and be a part of Vacation Bible School. And so we're very thankful for the service of our people, thinking bigger beyond themselves, of thinking their day may be longer and it's more work to be done, but the impact that it has on eternity far outweighs that. And so we're just thankful for their commitment and their uh, vision to be able to see that. And we're just also thankful for this building that you gave us that we were able to utilize for VBS and be able to have many spaces throughout the building to accomplish so many things as we are trying to share the good news of the gospel right here in Willow Street. Father God, we also want to be thinking about the needs within our church, those that are here in the, in the sanctuary now, those who are watching online, those who are at home who can't be with, be with us or maybe they're in a hospital room. We commit all those needs to you, God, knowing that you care about each one of them. We pray that you would meet the needs that are going on in whatever capacity is happening in their life, God. We pray that your peace and presence uh, would surround them and encourage them, that no matter where they are or what they're facing, that you are with them, and we as a church family, that we would be there and that we would bear their burdens and care for them because we are the church and that we would love and care for one another um, God, that we would be able to uh, take being one body of many parts to care and love for each other. We also want to lift up and continue to pray for Pastor Will. We thank you for his progress. We thank you that he's been able to move to Brethren Village. We pray for his continued rehab there. We thankful, we're thankful for the good progress and the good spirits that he has and just even this past week as I got to visit with him and he kept speaking about the goodness of God that we sang about this morning and how he's been experiencing that and how he's been able to reflect on that. And so we're thankful for that and uh, we just continue to pray for Pastor Will and for Barbie and for that road and we pray for him to be able to uh, get home and to be able to get to that, uh, that final spot. And so we commit that to you, Lord. And we know that you... Um, have brought him this far, and so we c continue to commit him to prayer and for his healing. We also want to lift up and pray for our service here this morning as we worship. We pray for Pastor Mike as he's going to bring your word, and we pray for your Holy Spirit to be speaking in and through him, as well as for each of our hearts and minds as we listen and hear that we would allow your spirit to be at work speaking to us, to teach us, and to change and to do things in our own lives that that we need personally as we hear about wisdom and being wise people, God. I pray that each one of us would have a desire as we begin each day to be in your word and to be in prayer with you because we, we know we want to be wise people and be, have wisdom that's in us and that we live out. We need to be going to you, Lord, who has it and utilizing your word in prayer to be able to do that, God. And so with that, we commit this all to you. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The scripture reading for this weekend is found in James chapter 3, verses 13 to 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it. Or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, 
unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Thank you very much, Pastor Jarrett. The question that begs to be answered today is, who is wise and understanding among us? I want you to think about that for just a moment. Who is wise and understanding? I think that's a question that we actually ask ourselves more often than we realize. When we are making a significant decision in life, we want an objective opinion about something or maybe helpful counsel about a particular matter. Who do you go to? Who do you think about going to? It's the people in your life that you know who are wise, who will give you a good direction, who will give you counsel that is trustworthy. Wise people are people with life experience, and they know how to use their life experience to counsel others. Wise people are knowledgeable people, but they are also people who know how to take what they know and wisely apply it to the way they live and others live as well. So then, who is wise and understanding among us? James turns to that subject here in James chapter 3. And he raises that question in the context, if you were here last week, you remember it, a hard-hitting, no-nonsense conversation about the tongue. And it's almost like James is following that conversation about the tongue with this question about wisdom and saying to us, hey, do you know who you can trust? Do you know who will keep a confidence? Do you know who will be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry? Who you can go to and know that as you seek their counsel, they'll keep a tight rein on their tongue and they'll guard their mouth and yet they'll give you counsel that is trustworthy? It is to these questions that James then gives an immediate and thorough answer as he introduces us today to the difference between False wisdom and true wisdom. False wisdom and true wisdom. So, as we unpack these truths, remember that wisdom is not about having more education. It is not about having more information. It is not about having more facts. If that were true, the world in which we live would be a sterling example of wisdom. But if you listen to the news or read the news, you know that there is a sore lack of wisdom in the world around us. The reason this world would be so full of wisdom, if indeed it was education and information, is that there are between 25 and 30,000 universities spread across our world. The only reason we don't have an exact number is some are accredited and some are not. And add to those number of universities the fact that you readily have available to you information 24-7 on the web. Whatever you want to know, whether it's true or not, it's available to you. So listen, if it was a matter of information and education, the world in which we live would be eminently wise. But all of that is called knowledge. And wisdom is not the same as knowledge. Wisdom is when you can take what you know and then apply it wisely to the way you live. James says, 
in verse 13, that the person who is wise and understanding among us should show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. In other words, wisdom makes a difference in our lives. If we possess true wisdom, then we will live good lives, and our good lives will be evident by the good deeds that we do in life. Those good deeds will be done in humility because humility is an outcome of wisdom. Hear me when I say this. Wise people are humble people. Wise people are people who know how to yield themselves both to God and also when it is appropriate to others. And they live unselfish lives. So with that in mind, Let's do a deep dive today into the subject of false wisdom versus true wisdom. And the first question we ask today is, what is false wisdom? James writes in verses 14 and 15, If you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it. Do not deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven. Now, it is unusual in the Bible to be reading along and to find a word that is in quotation marks like wisdom. And the reason that James did that is he's wanting us to understand that what he's referring to is actually no wisdom at all. He is introducing us to false wisdom. And frankly, friends, false wisdom is indeed no wisdom at all. So this morning, the question is, how do you spot false wisdom? How do you know that you're in the presence of false wisdom? None of us want to be taken in by it, so how do you spot it? And the answer that James would give is, you observe a person's character, and their character will tell you something about whether their wisdom is going to be false wisdom or true wisdom. For example, watch out for the evidence that someone is harboring bitter envy in their heart, James says. Now, envy happens when we resent an advantage that someone else has, and we want it for ourselves. We often equate envy with jealousy, and, and it is almost the same. And we often think about envy as, you know, envious about their car, their house, those kinds of things. It isn't just, however, about things. When we look around us and we see people in life getting ahead, and, and we're sort of in the same station, life, same age, we've done the same things, we can easily become envious, frustrated, that they have advantages that I don't have. And so I begin to want the advantages that they have, and I sort of wish they wouldn't have them, but I would be the exclusive owner of those advantages. That's what James is talking about. That kind of way of thinking, that kind of way of living, that is marked by a certain envy in our hearts. Now, he adds to that word bitter. And the word bitter accentuates the envy because it literally means relentlessly determined or insistent. People who possess bitter envy are relentless about their envy. They can't let it go. They can't stop talking about what other people have. They can't stop wanting what other people have. This is an interesting quote that I found in my study. The person who harbors bitter envy may show a fierce desire to promote one's own opinion 
to the exclusion of the opinions of others. These are people who know it all and nobody else knows anything. They are driven to be right and they make sure that others know that they are right. These are people who are insistent. They are demanding. And they can at times be very harsh in the way they speak to and about other people. Remember what we learned last week. Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Bitter envy, if it's buried within, will find its way out somewhere along the way. Now, secondly, James says, if you want to spot false wisdom, watch out for the evidence that someone is harboring selfish ambition in their heart. Selfish ambition seeks the best for yourself regardless of what is good for others. Life is all about me. Life is all about what I get in life, where I'm going in life, what I want in life. I really, really don't care about you. So Toma, you know, I really don't care about you. Your life is your life. Chantanel, your life is your life. I am all in it for me. It's all about me, Rob. It's all about me, Don. It's not about you. And selfish ambition says, what is the best for me in life? Now, when you put them together, bitter envy plus selfish ambition, you know what it equals? It equals an arrogant personality, an arrogant personality. An arrogant personality is the person who is able to extend tremendous grace toward themselves, but they have very little grace toward anyone else. James says to people whose lives are marked by bitter envy and selfish ambition, don't boast about it. Don't act like this is a badge to wear, that everybody should look at you and say, wow, you really know how to live life. And goodness sakes, when someone calls you out for it, and they will, don't deny the truth. It is evident by the way you live and by the words you use, and sometimes even you don't have to actually use certain words. It's your tone. It's the force of your words. It can even be the eyes that roll back in your head that are evident to others that though you're saying the right things, you really don't mean them. This is how you spot false wisdom. Now, the next question is, where does false wisdom come from? If you have your Bibles open or you have a device, look at verse 15. And the answer is that false wisdom does not come from heaven. It does not come from God. Where does it come from? First of all, James says it is earthly. It is earthly. Now, this is an interesting word. doesn't occur very often in the New Testament. It literally means it is inferior. It is inferior wisdom. Now, get this. It is wisdom that shuts out God and elevates whatever other people are saying and what the culture is saying. I just want to stop here and say to you, this is really, really dangerous. When we shut out God, we elevate ourselves, believe ourselves to be wise in our own eyes, and then set ourselves up as the authority shutting out the true authority, the creator of the universe, the savior of the world, Jesus Christ, and say, now essentially, I know better than you who sit on the throne that governs the earth. Dangerous position to be in. But false wisdom does that. It is inferior. It is earthly. It shuts out God. Secondly, 
Look at verse 15. It is unspiritual. It is unspiritual. It literally, the word for natural or humanistic. It has no time for God. It doesn't even want to consider bringing God back into the equation, even part-time. There is absolutely no place for God. It is dead spiritually. Now, thirdly, the Word of God, verse 15, says it is demonic. It is of the devil. Now, now hear me when I say this. That makes a lot of sense to me. I hope it does to you. Listen, if you got bitter envy and you got selfish ambition, it does not come from heaven, friends. It comes from the pit of hell. It is generated by the devil himself. He's the one who tempts people into that position, and then he stirs, routinely stirs people to keep that bitter envy, that selfish ambition alive. That leads to a final question. And the final question is, where does false wisdom lead? And let me say this to you. It leads to no good. It leads to absolutely no good. False wisdom, according to James in verse 16, creates an unstable, restless, and disorderly life for the person who possesses false wisdom, now hear me, as well as the person who embraces false wisdom after seeking out those who do not give true wisdom, but only give false wisdom. It's interesting that what James says is, listen, if you embrace false wisdom, you are embracing a wisdom that is going to only lead to disorder, and he says, every evil practice. In other words, it's just going to be conflict and foment and division. And, and so here's the deal. When you look at this kind of false wisdom, and you look at people who lead families or lead groups of friends or organizations or communities or nations or or organizations of the world, when you look at them and they are led by people with false wisdom, you know what the, the result of that is? It is constant foment, constant conflict, constant disorder. It, there is no peace. It's just like, oh my goodness, can we at least agree on something? But the leaders possess false wisdom and the fruit of the false wisdom will always be disorder and every evil practice. Now the obvious conclusion of this teaching is, the obvious conclusion, you ready for the obvious conclusion? The obvious conclusion is, stay away from false wisdom, right? Stay away from false wisdom. First of all, don't go looking for it. Secondly, if you happen to stumble over it, keep moving. Thirdly, if you happen to be enmeshed in it right now, get away and get out and stay away from false wisdom. You don't want false wisdom. As I was reading this yesterday and, and uh, just reading over the sermon, you know, on Saturdays I lay it out and say, okay, Lord, do whatever you want, you know, edit everything. Yesterday was one of those busy days where I said, Lord, don't make it too much, but, you know, do whatever you want there. And kind of, uh, that was not good. But anyway, he did what he wanted. He did what he wanted. And he reminded me of Proverbs 13, 20. As I was reading this, I thought, yeah, that's right. I should have written that into this message. And here's what Proverbs 13, 20 says. Walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get into trouble. Got that? This is the word of God. Walk with the wise and become wise. 
associate with fools and get into trouble. Say that with me. Walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get into trouble. That's what God is saying to us. Stay away from false wisdom. Now, this is really disheartening until you realize that you don't need to settle for false wisdom. That there is something other than false wisdom. And that something is called true wisdom. And I want us to unpack true wisdom today. Look at verses 17 and 18. True wisdom comes from heaven. It is from God. And it reflects his character. Look at how God, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, working through James, defines for us true wisdom. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, and good fruit, impartial, and sincere. Do you know how you spot true wisdom? These are the qualities that you will see in the life of a truly wise person. First of all, they will be pure. And the word pure is a powerful word. It means they have unmixed motives. They are not double-minded. What you see is what you get. They behave the same way whether people are looking or people are not. Now, I love to have fun with you, and I think you know that. And we have a lot of fun on Sunday mornings, and you know, out in the lobby, people talking and so on. I'll walk up to a group once in a while, and when I walk up to the group, somebody will say, oh, we better behave now, Mike's here. And you know, it makes me wonder what they were going to do before I got there. It really does, you know. And that's all in good fun. That's all in good fun, and it's fun, and we laugh about it. But listen, there are some people who live that way. They live that way. They live a certain way when they know that certain people are watching. They live a certain way when it's Sunday and they're at 212 Peach Bottom. But when it's Monday and they're not at 212 Peach Bottom, when it's Sunday afternoon and certain people aren't there and aren't watching, they live another way. What James is saying is truly wise people are not double-minded. They are pure. They do not have mixed motives. Theirs are unmixed. What you see is what you get. Secondly, truly wise people are peace-loving people. Peace-loving here, it literally means the opposite of insistent, the opposite of demanding, the opposite of harsh. Going back to James chapter 1, verse 19, peace-loving people who are quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Truly wise people are thirdly considerate people. They have a concern for, and they actually care about the needs of others. Pastor Kent Hughes at College Church in Wheaton, Illinois, in one of his sermons has written this. The man or woman with this quality makes allowances for the weaknesses and ignorance of others and takes the kindest perspective whenever possible. You know, truly wise people they do not routinely throw other people under the bus. They really don't. Truly wise people are people who know how to balance life. And, you know, if they're in a position of leadership and they need to call someone to account, they do it in the right way at the right time. But the reality is truly wise people recognize that their feet are also clay. 
that they make mistakes just like everybody else makes mistakes. And so they're not so quick to jump on everybody's weakness or everybody's ignorance because they recognize they have their own weaknesses, their own ignorances. Truly wise people are considerate people. Fourthly, truly wise people are submissive people. They're willing to learn from God and others. They would rather yield than stand their ground. They remember that to be wise means to be humble, and to be humble means to yield to God. Truly wise people, fifthly, are full of mercy and good fruit. Instead of producing disorder and every evil practice, truly wise people leave in their wake not a lot of division and foment and conflict, but truly wise people leave in their wake a sense of peacefulness, a sense of unity, a sense of friendliness. That's a truly wise person. Truly wise people, sixth, are impartial and sincere. Remember James chapter 2, wise people show no favoritism. They embrace others, and they do so with a genuine desire to serve others and to show them the way to Christ. Truly wise people are the real deal. Now, the question is, what can we expect to be the outcome of true wisdom in our lives? James tells us in verse 18, Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. This is like a really strange proverb that caps off this passage of Scripture. There are some Bible scholars who think it's unrelated to the passage, or other Bible scholars who say, well, no, it is related, and jump through some gymnastics to get there. And, and as I've studied it, here's how I understand how this relates to wisdom. The truly wise person, we've already learned this, is peace-loving. Therefore, the truly wise person is a peacemaker. And the truly wise person, when they sow their counsel, when they give their counsel to others, give it in such a wise way that the result isn't division and conflict and fighting and fussing and foment, but the result is a harvest of righteousness. What is a harvest of righteousness? The truly wise people with their wisdom don't just give you advice on whether or not to buy a car or refinance your house or continue that relationship. The truly wise people understand that their responsibility in sharing their wisdom with others goes far and beyond the matter at hand. It actually doesn't end until they have wisely pointed you in the direction of the most perfectly wise person. And you know his name, don't you? His name is Jesus. The truly wise person is always concerned about not just giving you good advice, but pointing you to the one who will be available 24-7 in your life to give you the perfect wisdom of God, and that is a relationship with Jesus Christ. When I think about who is wise and understanding among you, and I think of my life, there is one woman who immediately comes to mind in my life. We were blessed when we went to plant a church in Baltimore, Maryland, to meet a woman named Amanda Hunt. And back in the day in 1986 when we were planting that church, the way we planted it is Jenny and I went there newlywed, and uh, the first thing we did was start knocking on doors. And we knocked on doors week after week after week, and we just got to meet people in our neighborhood. We invited them to our first Bible school. 
and we invited them to come to church because we needed people in order to have church, and that's how we met people. And there was a day when we knocked on Amanda Hunt's door on 33rd Street. And on 33rd Street, she opened her door, and she was as sweet as can be. She was then in her early, early 80s. She lived to be in her mid-hundreds, like 104 or 5. And uh, she opened the door. She greeted us very kindly. And she told us that she was looking for a new church home because she had been driving so far to her former church home, and she'd be happy to visit our church. And she did. And she stayed. And we had no idea the gift that God was giving us in Amanda Hunt. She was truly the wisest person I've ever known in my life. In part, we named our third daughter Amanda because of our great esteem for Amanda Hunt. Amanda Hunt's wisdom was of such a quality that it was indeed pure, it was peace-loving, it was absolutely considerate. She was submissive to Jesus Christ, she was full of good fruit, and she was impartial and she was sincere. She had this incredible gift of leading women in the age category of 75 to 95 to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Not many people have that gift. She had the gift of being able to talk to women who had been religious all their life but did not have a relationship with Jesus, show them that they needed more than their good works in order to be saved, and then quietly, carefully, lovingly lead them to Jesus Christ and then daily, weekly teach them the word of God. She was incredible. She invited me one time to be the leader of the small group in her home, which was like 10 or 11 women between the ages of 75 and 95. And you know, when a young pastor gets an invitation like that, you know what's written all over that? Great lunch is what's written all over that. You just, it's like, okay, yeah. What time does it start? 11 o'clock. Well, you know where that's gonna end. So yep, I'll be there. And I didn't say much. I listened to her. And so as a young preacher, because I was 24 when I went in ministry down there and planning a church, it was to Amanda's house that I would go for counsel. And I'd knock on the door and I'd come in. She'd say, do you want iced tea? I'd say, yes, I want iced tea. She'd say, now how can I help you? And I'd just share with her whatever it was I was struggling with. And she would just talk to me and she'd pray with me. And then she would always say to me, now remember, Mike, the most important thing is you point people to Jesus. You point them to Jesus. Because ultimately, you can't help them because you're not their savior, Mike Sigmund. Jesus is their savior. That's a truly wise person. Listen, if you get a big head thinking, oh, people are coming to me and they want advice and they want direction, you have now adopted false wisdom. True wisdom is when you recognize that you got nothing. He has everything. And you point people to the one who can eternally help them. His name? Now I want to ask you a question as I close. Sort of. <laughs> Suppose some people you meet every day are verse 16 people. They are bitter, envious, selfish, and ambitious. Suppose some other people you meet every day are verse 17 people. They are pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Who would you want to talk to? The verse 16 people or the verse 17 people? On the count of three, shout out your answer. One, two, three. We left it up there just so you get it right. That's exactly right. It's exactly right. When James opened this passage and he asked the question, who is wise and understanding among you? He wasn't expecting us to answer that question. It was purely rhetorical. He was going to give us the answer. 
And he did. Right there it is. Who is wise and understanding among you? It's the person whose life has lived to bring honor and glory to Jesus Christ, whose character represents the character of a follower of Jesus. So when you're looking for counsel, this is who you want to go to. But I have one more question, very important question. Do you want to be a wise person? Do you want to build a reputation for wisdom yourself? Here's what you need to do. First, you need to enter into a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. Let me tell you why. Paul says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 3, in Christ lie hidden all the treasure of wisdom and knowledge. Until you confess your sin, surrender it to the one who died in your place on the cross, confess that Jesus Christ is the only Savior and Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, until you embrace him and receive his gift of salvation and give your whole life over to him, until you do that, you're not going to be able to be a truly wise person. But when you make that decision, when you trust Christ as Savior and Lord, on that day, at that moment, in the throne room of heaven, he declares you righteous, forgiven of your sin, justified in relationship with him. At that simultaneous moment, he sends his Holy Spirit to live and take up residence in you. He changes you from the inside out. He gives you the assurance that you're a child of God. He adopts you into his family, into the church of Jesus Christ, and he gives you the capacity to be a man or a woman of wisdom. And if you're here this morning and you've never made that decision for Jesus Christ, then I invite you, are you ready to do that? You've been studying, you've been reading, you've been coming to church, but the reality is, church isn't gonna save you, Jesus is gonna save you. If you wanna be a truly wise person, you need to surrender your life to Christ. And you're sitting here and you say, Mike, I've already surrendered my life to Christ, praise the Lord. If you're here this morning, you're a follower of Jesus, do you wanna be a truly wise person? then this is what you need to do. Look at James chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should what? Ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault. I love this next phrase. What does it say? And it will be given to him. It doesn't say that in the course of time it will be given to you. It doesn't say that you might get it or you might not. It says, and it will be given to you. Listen, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ this morning and you want to be a truly wise person, have an active prayer life. Ask God for wisdom. Do you know how often I ask God for wisdom? I start in the morning every single day. Sometimes in the course of the day, I'll ask him multiple times. You know why I start every morning, every single day? I have no idea what that day is going to hold. I have this calendar in my phone. I'm so proud about how I have it all organized. And Jesus sits up in the, his throne in heaven and he just laughs and says, wait till you see what this day is going to be. Wait till you see. And the question is, are you ready? And the way you get ready is you ask him every day, give me wisdom for what I don't know is going to happen today. And give me wisdom for what I do. 
So I ask you today, do you want to be a wise person? You need Jesus. And you need to ask him for wisdom. Let's pray together. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm going to invite you this morning, if you have been studying with us and worshiping with us and journeying with us and you've been hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ, but you have not yet surrendered your life to Jesus, you know that the next step is to humbly pray and confess your sin and confess that Jesus is your Savior and Lord and invite him to change your life. I'm going to ask you this morning, are there any here who are ready to make that decision and make that step? With heads bowed and eyes closed, I invite you, if it's your desire this morning, from where you're seated, to quietly pray to receive Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord of your life. Would you just slip up your hand that I can see it so that I know and that you have the opportunity to respond in that way? Are there any who would say this morning, I'm ready to pray, and I'll do that now to receive Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Just slip your hand up and let us know that's your desire. I invite you to pray in your heart this prayer. Jesus, I confess to you today my sin. I know that I've been living the way I want to, not the way you want me to, and it's not been pleasing to you. I, I ask you, Jesus, to please forgive me of my sin this heartbreaking sin and rebellion against you. I turn away from my sin now, Jesus, and I turn to you. I confess that you are the only Savior and Lord. I believe that God raised you from the dead. I invite you, Jesus, to take control of my life and to change me from the inside out as I receive your gift of salvation. And I begin today to walk as your follower. Thank you for hearing my prayer. In your name, I pray. Lord, I thank you for those who have prayed that prayer throughout this weekend, knowing that your spirit is already ministering to their spirits, that they are children of God. I pray for every other person here who already knows you as Savior and Lord that you would move and work in our lives to break down any bitter envy, selfish ambition, any arrogance that makes us think we're better than or really great stuff and humbly come to you and ask you for wisdom every day to live in a way that's pleasing to you. We pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message and choosing to spend some time with us today. To get more information about Grace Community Church, our service times, and our location, check out our website at gccws.net.